Thank you, worship team. We're trying to get to 2 Samuel, and we have two more sermons to get to today and next week. And um, in order to get there, we have to remember, remind ourselves the context. So we're going through rather quickly main characters in 1 Samuel so we can kind of land on the target of David. And so in, in 1 Samuel, there's all these great characters, Hannah, this poor woman from a small town in the hill country of Israel. She's like the person who rolls up the snowball and just gets it on the first roll down the hill. Uh, doesn't seem very significant, little prayer, child that's born, but it picks up steam as we go through the story. And then we come to Samuel, her son, who's this great character. The books are named after First and Second Samuel. This great prophet who ushers in a, a new reign of kings in Israel. And we've taken a look at Saul and how uh, he had so much promise, and yet Saul ended up being for Saul. And he ended up being an enemy of God rather than a servant of God. And with all these great characters at the center of the stage of these two books really is David. He, he stands by himself, and he represents a, a massive shift in the story. If you were thinking about a movie or a book that you've read, there's certain things that happen, certain characters that come in that once they come in, the storyline's never the same. Well, David's that person, and God actually calls David a man after God's own heart. So it's not David saying this about himself, it's not somebody else saying about David, it's it's God looking at David and saying, hey, I'm going to choose a man, a man after my own heart. Not like Saul, who's after his own heart. And from this person, this, this king, David, is going to come the king of kings. And so if you were to pick out one, a couple of verses in First and Second Samuel, Samuel that are the key to the whole two books, it would come in Second Samuel chapter 7. When God says this to David, when your days are fulfilled, when you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I'm going to establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, and I will be to him as a father, and he shall be to me as a son." And really, from, from that point on, we know David isn't a perfect king. We'll find that in 2 Samuel pretty easily. But we know from him is going to come this king of kings. And so this is stated probably around 1000 BC. So for the next thousand years, all of human history is leaning in saying, who, who is this, who's this line of David? Where's this person going to come from. And it's a key part of the Bible story. And we'll see that that lands on Jesus. So I want to look at David's life in three parts. First, uh, I've titled this, What God Sees. What God Sees. Secondly, David as a shadow. The Old Testament is like a shadow of the reality of Christ. So if you think of a tree as being the real substance in the New Testament, that's Jesus. 
And God shines on Jesus and casts a shadow back into the Old Testament. So you pick up these things and they lead you to the real thing. That's Jesus. And we'll take a look at a couple of events like that today in David's life. And then next week we're going to just focus on on one place from a king to a cave. First of all, what, what God sees. Chapter 15 in 1 Samuel is where we're going to begin. And when you reach chapter 15, you're the, at the midway of 1 Samuel. And the, the faithful prophet is now aging, and he's at rock bottom. Samuel is at rock bottom. You may have heard the expression, he's so low, he has to look up to see rock bottom. And so that's Samuel. He's, he's so low, he's got to look up to see Rock bottom, and you'll see it with me in chapter 15, beginning with verse 10. When the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul the king. Saul was for Saul. Saul's heart was for Saul's desires. He has turned back from following me. He has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry. And he cried out to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told to Samuel, Saul, the king, the the servant of God, behold, he has set up a monument for himself. Then we skip down to verse 26, where Samuel comes to Saul and says, I will will not return with you, Saul, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord... The Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And then finally in verse 35, very end of the chapter, And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, but Samuel was grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Just doesn't get any darker than this moment for Samuel. And we can appreciate Samuel's grief. Uh, by this time, he's, he's an old man. He had spent sort of his early leadership years trying to corral the people of God who were all kind of splitting away from God. They were, they were doing whatever they wanted to do. So Samuel comes in as this great leader. He's trying to corral the people of God, but the people of God really just want to go their own way. And so God, God sends in a king, And unfortunately, he gives the king the kind of king the people ask for, like themselves. And Samuel doubles his effort into Saul, thinking maybe this is going to be the person. I mean, I've kind of brought these people so far, but he's going to be the king. He's going to be the king who who leads after me. But Saul turns out to be just like the people, and he rejects God as the king as well. And so we come to chapter 15, and Samuel is angry. And when you read commentaries, it asks the question, well, why, why is Samuel angry? And there's lots of different things you could think of him. He's, he might be angry at Saul. Saul, you set up a monument to yourself. I mean, all the terrible things you could do, this has got to be at the top, top of the list. God rescues you. God provides you a way to defeat the enemy. And yet, then when you come away from the battle, it's all about you. All the spotlight is on you. Samuel might have been angry at the people. I mean, hey, we wouldn't even be in this spot if it hadn't been you guys turning away from from God. Maybe Samuel's angry at himself. And why have I wasted all my time? 
I mean, I've given all this, all my sort of young, vibrant years of my energy to the people, and they end up wandering away. And now as a mature man, I've given all of my, these years to Saul, and, and he's wandering, wandered away. And now he's an old man, and he's thinking, maybe I've just, I've wasted my time. I've, I've invested in people who only disappoint. Maybe, we don't know. Maybe Samuel's angry at God. Why'd you send me on this errand that's gone nowhere? Why didn't you make a better choice than Saul? Why didn't you intervene? I don't know if you've had those kind of questions in your life at some point. Whatever the reason, Samuel is angry. And he's so angry, and I don't know if you've ever been in this place, that he's just angry at everything. Ever been in that way? Two or three things go wrong, and now you're just angry. Your dog walks in, you're angry at your dog. I mean, doesn't matter. Just, you just now are just projecting anger. Everything is bad. And he's in what I called when we did this sermon, the, the frame of pain. And you'll remember it if you were here. Remember the frame of pain? It's like if you take a hammer and you hammer your thumb instead of the nail hard, your whole life shrinks to your thumb. Your whole life is right there. You can't think of anything else. You can't see anything else. You're just completely in this frame. This is painful. I can't get out of this frame. And that's a lot of times how we get stuck. Something painful happens to us. Could have been when you were five or 25 or 55. But a painful moment happens. And when you're in the frame of pain, what you think is, I'm never going to get out of this frame. You take the pain and you stretch it across your life. And you say, I've always been so unlucky. I'll never get out of this. All the languages, always and never, it's all consumed in this pain. Everybody does this. But the thing is, is some people get stuck in that frame. And they just live in this frame of pain. And Samuel, I think he's in danger of getting stuck in this this frame, being frozen in the frame. And I'll show you why in chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord then said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? I mean, it's been some amount of time. I mean, there's an appropriate amount of time for grief, but then there's a time to to move on. I love the C.S. Lewis line. It comes from the Chronicles of Narnia. I wish I could remember which book, and somebody in the line afterwards will tell me. But um, a little girl has uh, done something bad, and she starts crying. And he says, crying's good for a while, but at some point you have to stop and move forward. So it's okay. You're in a frame of pain. You are sad. You need some time to grieve. We're going to talk about this in a few weeks in in 2 Samuel chapter 1. But then you've got to move on. You've got to move out of this frame or else you get stuck in it. And I think God's coming to say, Samuel, it feels like you're getting stuck. And even though you can't see anything else, and this is a key key word in chapter 16, I see. You can only see this frame, but I see outside the frame, Samuel. And I want you to live by what I see, not just by 
what you see. And the Hebrew word that happens nine times in this chapter is raha. Say that with me. Raha. It's just fun to say. R-A-A-H. Raha. You should use it sometime this week. You might want to put this on your prayer card. Raha. I see. And nine times. You can't see it in the text because really, unfortunately, I think the translator, they, they translate it different ways. Provide, look, appearance. But it's all the same Hebrew word means I see. I see clearly. And when God has to tell somebody something nine times, they're stuck. They're stuck. Samuel, I know you don't see, I see. I know you're stuck in the frame of pain, but I'm going to get out of this frame of pain. We're moving on. We're moving forward. Nine times he comes back to Samuel. And what does God see? How long will you grieve over Saul? Chapter 16, verse 1. Since I have rejected him from being king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go. And I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. For I have provided, Raha, I have seen for myself a king among his sons. I see. Samuel, I see. I've provided. I see a king. I see outside the frame. I see another king, a king after my own heart. I know you can't see, but you have to trust what I see, not what you see. So God sees. Samuel, I know you're stuck in your your single frame, but I'm going to try to pull you out of that. And I need you to go. I need you to go to Bethlehem and find Jesse, who has some sons, and one of those sons, he's the king. And here's maybe the most important line in this chapter, verse 4. He says, go, and then in verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord commanded. That could be at the top of your prayer card. In 2020, Paul did what the Lord commanded. Just what he says, I do. That's what I do. I don't feel like going. I feel like staying in my frame of pain. Yep, well, I'm going to go. It's a long walk. I don't want to go that far. Okay, but I'm going to go. Are you really going to provide? I'm, going to go. I'm just going to go. I'm not going to negotiate with God. I'm going to do what he says. Because Raha, he sees. He sees things. So I'm going, to, I'm going to obey. I'm going to do what he says. And it's so important because you know this, if you've had any length of time with your life with the Lord, you get into dark, angry moments. Sometimes those moments aren't moments. They're seasons. And in that season, you need to trust that God still sees. And that whatever he's telling you to do, you're going you're gonna to step forward. You're going to go. You're going to say, I'm going to get out of this frame of pain, and I'm going to go and trust in God's word. There's a great quote. It's not really meant for sermons <coughs> by Winston Churchill. He says this, if you're going through hell, keep going. Don't get stuck. If you're in this frame, okay, you're, you're going through it, but keep going. Don't, don't come into it and then just get stuck. Keep going. And that's what, what uh, God is trying to say to Samuel. Keep going. Keep going. 
So what else does God see? He sends uh, Samuel down to Jesse's house. Uh, Jesse gets his, all of his sons ready, and it's kind of like a parade. He's going to bring one son before Samuel like the pageant judge. And uh, the first son, Eliab, comes. And this is what, chapter 16, verse 6, Samuel said, Surely this is the Lord's anointed who stands before the Lord. Because he had some kind of impressive appearance. So you, you see, Samuel still can't quite see. He's still caught on the surface. That's, that was the problem with Saul. He looked good on the outside, but he was nothing on the inside. But then the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. What a great verse. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord, what does he look at? He looks at the heart. Samuel takes one, one look and says, this is the oldest, so he's the favored son. He looks good. He's got to be the person. He's got to be the future king. And Samuel somehow in that moment just forgets all the problems they had with Saul. He's trapped on the surface. And imagine living in a culture that everything is about appearances. Can you imagine living in that kind of culture? People just post the best things about themselves on Facebook or Instagram. Before they post the pictures of themselves, they send it through a filter so they look just perfect when they arrive on your phone. And you think, everybody's having a great life except for me. That's what you usually think. And you think, I'm just going to check in on my friends, and you end up spending an hour there, and you come away and say, I'm depressed. Because it's all a show. It's all outward appearance. There was an article written recently from the Washington Post by a plastic surgeon. What do cosmetic surgery patients want right now? What's the hot thing? People come in of all ages and this is what they want. I want to look better in my selfies. I take so many pictures of myself and I'm not looking good from two feet away. So I need you to correct it so when I take a picture of myself, I look good. And here's what he says. The truth is, selfies provide an inaccurate feedback on how you look. I mean, is this rocket science? I mean, seriously. And generally, people make people feel bad about themselves. You just can't get an accurate picture of, your, of yourself at arm's length. See, we live in an arm's length culture. Samuel is just about, get, about ready to get trapped in the arm's length culture of Eliab. He looks good. He's, he's right there. And God is trying to reorient Samuel. He's trying to reorient us, I believe, to say, I don't look at outward appearance. When I'm looking at, for a leader, and I have all these things in my equation, and we come to outward appearance, that's a zero. Doesn't add, doesn't subtract. I've got all kinds of things I look for, but then when you get to the appearance blank, you can just fill in zero. That, that doesn't matter in the way God's operating in the world. That's the way we think. And you know this. For God, if you want to be first, what do you have to be? Last. If you want to be on the top, you have to go to the bottom. 
Samuel asked Jesse, are these all your sons? Number one didn't make it. Number two didn't make it. Well, I mean, there's one more. He's not even in the house. He's, he doesn't mean anything. He's the youngest. He's kind of like the runt of the litter. He's actually out keeping sheep. He's at the bottom. He's out caring for and risking his life for the dumbest animals on the planet. I did a whole sermon on sheep, and it's, there's some funny stories, but you, you may have seen it. Usually when I've seen something, you've seen something. But there's a funny gif of a sheep stuck in a tire tube. Have you seen this? Okay, you're going to, don't Google it right now, okay? But there's, there's a shepherd, and he's kind of moving some pe- the, his sheep through the field, and there's a tree, and it's got a rope and a tire swing. And somehow, the, this one sheep got his head and his legs through, and now he's got the tire around his midsection. So he's got his legs on the ground, but he tries to run, and then he goes up in the air, and then he comes back down. And all the other sheep are looking at him like, wow, what an idiot. I don't know what they're saying. And he just keeps running and coming back and running and coming back. So stupid. It's so funny. You got to watch it. A lot of people live their lives this way. I run out like I I can do something, but really I'm attached some way and I always come back to the same place. I can't ever make any headway because I'm so stupid because I'm stuck on myself. I've got myself wrapped around me. And no matter what I try to do, I'm always coming back to myself and we need a shepherd to come and cut that away and say, be free. So there is somebody who's taking care of these sheep. And God says to Samuel, the person who's caring for the dumbest animals on the planet, that's my leader. Now, what does that remind you of? Jesus. I am the good, what does he say? Shepherd. And who are the sheep? We're the dumbest people on the planet. But he sends his son to say, hey, I'm going to rescue, from you, rescue people from that tire tube. So they can be free. I'm the good sheep. I'm going to lay down my life for my sheep. In chapter 16, David gets anointed. He's the king. Or he's going to be the future king. And in a little insignificant town little town outside of Jerusalem called Bethlehem. Maybe when Jesus was born there, it was the size of a football field. A man, a young man, is a shepherd and a king. And you should hear it right now. This is the shadow. A thousand years later, a young man, a baby, is going to be the real shepherd and the real king. And so David, and we're going to transition to the second point, is is so many great shadows of Jesus. When you look at the life of David, there's so many ways you can kind of turn him around and say, yeah, that's pointing me to Jesus. Yeah, that's pointing me to Jesus. And here's one of them. The young man who's a shepherd who's going to be king is in Bethlehem. That's Jesus. And let me give you another example here in this second point. David as a shadow. That's one example. Another example is uh, 
in Genesis chapter 3, and I'm going to connect that to 1 Samuel chapter 17. So let's just go to the end of 1 Samuel chapter 17. Most of you know this because you've been around. I've said it many times. But a lot of things begin in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve decided that their desires was above God's word. It wasn't like they didn't believe in God or they're completely rejecting God. They're just saying, you're just taking second tier. Right now, my wisdom, my desires, they're over yours right now, God. And I would like to move in my direction. And the Bible calls that sin. And the Bible also tells us that all of humanity is connected with Adam's sin. It's like a a defective gene that gets passed on to all of humanity. It gets transmitted, and now everybody that gets born is hardwired to prefer, prefer their wisdom over God's word. Now, we're not, it's not too surprising. I don't think it should be. You go to the doctor for a physical. What's the first thing they ask you to do before they even see you? They give you a novel to fill out, right? Not insurance, previous health condition, right? 400 boxes to check. And it's just not you. What do they say? Your mom, your dad. They have cancer. They have heart disease. They have anything. Why do they ask that? Why don't you say, it's my physical. It's not my dad's. It's not my mom's. Well, you know. You're connected to them. If your dad has a heart attack when he's 45 and you're a young man, you're in pretty good danger. Got to know that. That, that stuff like that gets passed on. Same thing happens with Adam and Eve. They pass on this defective gene of sin to every human being. So we all find ourselves falling short of the glory of God is the way the Bible would say it. Thankfully, in Genesis chapter 3, the same chapter where the people walk away, God makes a great promise. And he says, hey, this leader fell, but I'm going to come and I'm going to bring a new leader, like a second Adam. And he's going to start a whole new family. And if you're connected to him, now his health passes to you. Not, not the sin of the disease of sin passing to you, but the grace of righteousness is passing to you through Jesus. He's going to have a whole new family, and you have to be connected to him to be healthy. And he says in Genesis 3, this offspring of a woman is going to crush the head of a serpent. He's going to take care of evil once and for all. So when you're in Genesis chapter 3 as a Bible reader, you're looking who's going to be that person. Who has the power to do that? And that's all getting me to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 5, which we didn't talk about, the Ark of the Covenant goes into the Philistine territory and ends up being in a temple Uh, uh, an idol temple, and in the middle of the temple is a big god that's half fish and half man. It's called Dagon. And you remember the Ark of the Covenant comes in, and what happens overnight? You remember the story? The, The idol falls down, and his head gets severed. And I think the writer of 1 Samuel is playing a little note saying, hey, this is like Genesis 15. Evil's head is going to get severed. Saul turns out to be God's enemy. In chapter 31, his head gets severed. 
again, I, I think the writer is purposely drawing these threads from Genesis 3 into 1 Samuel 17. Now look with me at the very end of chapter 17. This is after David defeats Goliath. As soon as Saul saw David go out to the Philistine, to Goliath, he says to his general, who is this guy? That They say, I don't know. Go get him. Verse 57. As soon as David returned from striking down the Philistine or Goliath, he comes to Saul, into verse 57, with the head of the Philistine in his hand. Goliath is standing there with this pointy helmet on a plane, shiny, sunny plane, and he's got a mail shirt on. You know what a mail shirt is? It's just these little sort of uh, moon, like U-type metal pieces. So if something hits you, it doesn't penetrate. And he's got a mail shirt on here all the way down to his waist. So from a distance, if you have a pointy helmet on and a mail shirt, what do you look like? You got a serpent. And David, the true king, comes and cuts off the head of the serpent. And in this chapter, David's standing there. He's a 17-year-old boy, the king, who's going to be king, and he's holding the head of Goliath. I think that's a powerful picture. And I think it's supposed to connect you to Genesis chapter 3 and say, it's, this isn't the real king, but it's, gonna be, it's a shadow of what the real king's going to do. He's actually going to destroy evil once and for all. And what a powerful intersection this is. Revelation twenty two sixteen, five verses from the end of the Bible. This is what Jesus says about himself. I am the root and the offspring of David. I'm the king. I'm going to take care of all of this. Let me just remind us how Jesus does that. He cuts off the power of Satan, not with a sword, but with a cross. Colossians 2. When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us of all our sins, nailing them to the cross. Jesus disarmed He chopped the head off of the powers and authorities of evil. So on the cross, Jesus steps on the throat of Satan, the accuser. So when I come before the Lord, there is now no condemnation. It's beautiful. It's beautiful because I've gotten myself connected by the grace of God to a new Adam, to a new head. And now his righteousness, instead of Adam's sin, Christ's righteousness is flowing towards me. And when I meet God face to face, somebody who could be condemned for millions of sins, Christ has crushed the head of Satan so he can no longer speak against me. That is good news. That's the gospel. And you see a little picture of it, a little shadow of it in David. Well, if you were to turn to chapter 18, which we'll get to next week, looks good for David. Cuts off the head of the Goliath, and his life is up and to the right, kind of like what you want to see in your stock portfolio. Everything up and to the right. Everything's growing. Everything's good. In chapter 18, it feels like David is like kind of on a rocket launching ramp to 
to really to great things. He's going to become the king, and he crashes into a cave. And he has to live for 10 years in a cave. And when all of your dreams launch into a cave, how do you live in that place for 10 years? 